This is Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, where a spirit board conversation sparked our spiritual evolution. I'm Shale. And I'm Cheyenne. And each week, we explore a world where there is much more than meets the eye. So pour yourself a drink and join us as we cheers to a witch in good time. Welcome back to Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, friends. Shale, what are you drinking tonight? So I literally just walked in from my run, (laughs) Um, which is good motivation when I'm like, have an appointment to record with you to get my butt home. But I'm drinking a homemade electrolyte drink. So like Gatorades and stuff have like a ton of excess sugar and stuff and hashtag health. (laughs) So it's got... Coconut water, regular water, um, honey, and lime juice. But then I made my own herbal electrolyte salts. So it Ooh. has sea salt, pink Himalayan salt. And I added nettle because that's an herb that just has all of the essential vitamins and minerals. And then a little bit of hibiscus and rose hips because they're both packed with vitamin C. So putting in herbs everywhere I can. (laughs) That sounds delightful. Yeah. What are you drinking tonight? So I actually did a shale one-stop shop tonight. Ooh. And I thought it would be funny or punny to have a soda pop tonight. I don't even know how to say what this beverage is because I haven't had one in like five years. Oh, I get the reference. I was like, what's punny? (laughs) so if you're from the midwest right it's more midwestern to call it pop i think you know i have no idea because i grew up most of well part of my life in washington and as a child we called it pop and i never heard soda until i went to like middle school and that was in montana so i don't know interesting okay somebody correct me on instagram but i got a colorado cream soda it's a local soda and I've had one sip and it is so sweet. There's a reason I haven't had pop in so long, but I really wanted this joke to land. So I'm drinking cream soda. (laughs) Honestly, that sounds really good though. I haven't had a cream soda in forever. It is very good. I do wish it had like ice cream in it or something. Yeah. That's a really good point. It almost feels like incomplete. (laughs) Yeah. It's very syrupy, but in a good way in that like makes your teeth kind of squeak way. Mm. I don't know if that sounds good or not. (laughs) So it's not a healthy electrolyte drink. But anyway, we're about duality here. Balance. So let's just dive right in. Um, Oh, I guess I should just explain my joke. We're talking about pop culture, which is today, friends. But I'm bummed. So because we are talking about pop culture, which is and the witch as an archetype, we are scooting back to our season one fave literary witch deck i was hoping you would use this deck for that yeah how could we not okay everyone take a deep breath which pop culture literary witch are we meant to learn from this week okay Today, we have drawn the lovely Shirley Jackson. I love her. We've drawn her a few times. So Shirley, as we know, 
is all about family. She represents domestic pleasures, domestic horrors, partnerships, and children. The fiction of Shirley Jackson, 1916 to 1965, marries the ordinary with the supernatural and often speaks to the inhumanities people endure. Her most famous story on the subject, The Lottery, was written after rural Vermont residents painted a swastika on her house. Her husband was a professor at Bennington College, um, and he was Jewish. Yet keen observation and a sense of humor pervade many of her works, especially her very funny essays on raising four children. Okay, but also how perfect is she for a pop culture which episode when one of her books is like such a hit on Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House? Yeah. Pop culture now. <laughs> she is literally the pop culture. She's probably one of the most legitimate pop culture witches by that definition in this deck, mm-hmm. I would say. A lot of our authors are a little more obscure um, and aren't quite as part of the cultural zeitgeist as Miss Shirley Jackson. All right. And our familiar is the wolf. Oh, that seems so, fitting. Yeah. The wolf represents the self without others, a calling and a great expanse, which I think is kind of a lovely sentiment when we're talking about pop culture and fiction and archetypes. Um, the wolf is, is in many of these fairy tale style that we're going to talk about today. So. I was obviously thinking Little Red Riding Hood, and then I was like, there's not a single witch in that story. There isn't a witch in that story, but isn't it funny how the witch is such a, I'm going to use the word pervasive, even though that's not quite the one I mean. <laughs> I think I get um, what you're saying. Like just archetype in general that you think fairy tale and like you could tell me that there was a witch in Little Red Riding Hood and I would probably believe you because there's a witch I- everywhere. I was just thinking that. I'm like, it feels like a story that should absolutely have a witch. (laughs) Yes. Well, and so in some adaptations, it does, right? If we think of like Into the Woods, where it's married with other fairy tales. Sure. Multiple tellings of a story. Like, we can get there for sure. Also, what if it's just not the witch as like, as you're saying, how she usually shows up? But what if grandma is a crone? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, in Little Red Riding Hood herself is on a maiden voyage, is she not? Yeah, absolutely. And Grandma was wise. She said, don't go through the freaking woods, Little Red Riding Hood. You'll get eaten by wolves. And then Little Red Riding Hood had to kind of learn the hard way. Yeah, she was our fool in this situation. Exactly. (laughs) Full circle. Give us any fairy tale. We'll break it down and see how it's witchy. (laughs) Yeah. We will find a witch anywhere there is none because we are everywhere. You cannot escape us. Okay, so let's talk about the witch. Let's talk about the witch as an archetype. Historically, I would say representation of the witch typically falls under two categories. And I'm going to call those categories the hag and the harlot. So the hag, obviously, represented by ugliness, old age she's decrepit she's spooky she's evil think luring children away into her gingerbread house to consume them in disney's case they're always typically very jealous and spiteful and spend most of their time trying to destroy a beautiful young protagonist examples of the hag would be the wicked witch of the west um, mother gothel in little or in rapunzel 
Um, the Grand High Witch from World Dolls the Witches. Winifred from Hocus Pocus, I would say, falls under the hag. Except um, we love her. <laughs> except we love her. Um, Maleficent, she's a little more beautiful than, you know, there. it's gray areas. I'm trying to break this binary and I'm breaking something into a binary when it doesn't exist in one. But <laughs> that's okay. That's how we're going to talk about it today. We're all about food. Um, right. So... Usually what the witch or the hag in this, in these types of stories is after is quite simply beauty and youth, right? Which is pretty reductive and sexist and problematic for many reasons in kind of the simplest terms, you know, that beauty, that youth, that forever journey to try to prevent yourself from aging is like the only goal a woman is able to strive for right like right that's that's kind of what I was thinking is it literally boils down to those are the only things that are valuable about you as a woman yeah so that's all we care about we care about being young and hot and you know what witches are young and hot but preach (laughs) um okay so young and hot witches we're going to talk about the harlot then so the harlot as a trope and an archetype is typically very young she's hypersexualized. she exists for male consumption She's typically very innocent, sometimes naive, very beautiful and charming. And her magic usually aligns with some sort of sexual awakening or sexual trauma or puberty. So examples of our harlot would be Samantha in Bewitched, um, Thomason in the horror movie The Witch, Sarah Sanderson from Hocus Pocus, um, the Hallowell sisters from Charmed, Sabrina, of course, Sabrina Spellman. And I think Willow from Buffy can be considered a harlot in some circumstances too. But we're going to talk way more in depth about Willow later. So I'm not going to get on that soapbox yet. So the way that witches are portrayed at any given moment in time in pop culture is usually a really good lens from which to view feminism and the movements kind of happening around her, around these these books, these movies, these shows that are happening. We really see a resurgence in witch stories when women's issues take the center stage, when women are resisting and pushing back and seeking power and equal footing. So the witch had a big resurgence in the 60s. She had a big resurgence in the 90s, and she's having a big resurgence now. I don't know. Do you feel like of the the resurgences she has had throughout history, do you think now is probably like the most profound? It's a good question. And I think in many ways, yes. Because we, I'm like going to use this weird word that I saw coined. I don't remember who called it this, but we're in an awakening right now, right? Like, mm. We're paying more attention than ever to the disenfranchised. And we're still not paying enough attention in many regards. (laughs) So I don't want to be too, you know, glossy and sugarcoaty about this because we've still got so long to go. But I do think just culturally, there is a big shift now that is happening Yeah, I would say it is happening in kind of stronger ways. But you know what's interesting? You look at the 60s to the 90s, that's about a 30-year gap, right? And the 90s to now, to 2021, is also about a 30-year gap. Ew, you just reminded me how close we are to 30. (laughs) 
I know. I'm sorry. But isn't that interesting? And then when you think of things like threes and how the number three <gasps> is, you know, symbolic to the witch in many respects, it's just kind of an interesting little brain tickle to think about the fact that like about every 30 years, the witch has a new moment. That is super interesting. Isn't it? Well, and usually around those times, like if you think back on the 60s or the 90s or now, it always comes with this like sense of longing to go back to our ancestry and the way things were and, you know, matriarchal type societies seem to be rising or being called upon. So it's interesting that that's also when the witch seems to come back in full force. Yes. And I'm glad you touched on that because there is another problematic trope with the witch in pop culture Mm. and just the witch in general that kind of contradicts that statement a little bit, which is why it's really fun to unpack how we use the witch in things like art and entertainment um, and how she's actually existing alongside that too. So while the witch may seem independent, right? I really love Erica Feldman, the um, author of House Witch. Yes. She considers witch an acronym that stands for woman in total control of herself. I love that. And I love that I like just got chills saying it out loud and I do every time because I love that. That's the easiest way to explain what witch as a word and as a movement means to me too, especially to people who may not understand. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's usually always an unseen male presence who she's either answering to or whose bidding she's doing. I mean, it's that classic, the devil made me do it trope that is just so boring and old (laughs) (laughs) but that is a very common theme when we're talking about witches in pop culture and entertainment there is actually typically a higher patriarchal power who is pulling the strings in some capacity and usually that figure is satan because we're talking about pop culture (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how society perceives the witch but it's just an interesting juxtaposition to think about our strong feminist female lead still having to answer to the patriarchy in some regards so just noodle that around for a while um but why do we love the witch so much as both as you know just as a society we love to love her we love to hate her typically when we love her she's in the harlot role and when we hate her she's in the hag role But the witch is feminism at its core, right? She is a stark refusal to exist within a status quo. She has power. And what's more, she wants power. The witch is sexy as hell, no pun intended, except obviously pun intended. (laughs) We're all about the puns tonight. (laughs) Right? Whether you love her or you hate her, either way, you're not going to be able to take your eyes off her. She makes incredible entertainment. She puts women in control of their own narrative with the caveat of the devil made me do it trope. And she's just badass. She takes what she wants and she doesn't ask forgiveness. And I think we love stories like that. We love stories about women who we get to champion. We love stories about women we get to tear down and hate. (laughs) And we love magic. Even those people who are afraid of it. I think everybody loves a good witch story. So we're going to talk about some witch stories. 
But before we dive into that, we have to talk about how whitewashed the witch is in the media, in pop culture, and the privilege that is born from and perpetuated by that. So I will be very honest with you. Most of the witches we're going to talk about today are white women. Mm -hmm. Those are the witches we watched growing up. Those are the witches that we have represented for us specifically. Those are the witches I connected with, right? So there is that caveat of we are going to be talking about a lot of white women tonight. But in reality, so many of these practices and the specific branches of witchcraft talked about or portrayed in movies and books, they stem from women of color. And Mm -hmm. when women of color are represented as witches, it's typically through an inherently racist lens and that trope of black versus white magic. There's usually more horror elements when a witch of color is on screen. Um, more dangerous assumptions about ritual practices and what they actually mean. I think American Horror Story Coven is a really good example of this. While we love it, and we love many of the witches for many reasons, it is not unnoticed that most of the brown witches are the villains. And practice more sinister magic. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking about that, like, as you were describing it, and kind of reflecting on my time living in New Orleans and just how anything associated with like voodoo, hoodoo, especially in entertainment or in the media is always like so misunderstood and there's so much fear mongering around it and it just comes across as evil and and it's literally one of the original like earth-based faiths or religions out there and it's not at all evil or scary. It's ancestral and beautiful, but nobody really ever looks into it a whole lot because there's so much fear around that particular path. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, most of the magical practices that we see in mainstream media, whether they're being practiced by white or brown witches, um, most of those practices have been appropriated and ripped directly from BIPOC practitioners. That's just the plain truth of it. Mm-hmm. And I will apologize that I don't have a more diverse list of witches to talk to you about today. But um, I think that's changing now, too, which is exciting. We're telling more stories and we're telling more stories accurately (laughs) and giving these women the power I think they finally deserve. So we'll definitely talk about where this is done well after I've just told you that it's been done horribly forever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll end with some hope and inspiration for the future that things are changing. Yes, they are. And honestly the consumer has so much power here and I think we forget that sometimes Mm, yes that's such Um, a good point but entertainment and pop culture and art it exists for an audience so it is also the audience's responsibility to be an audience that is receptive and open and willing to grow and I think it's really easy to brush off things like pop culture and entertainment as frivolous or surface level but this is how we view the world this is how we relate to things around us this is how we process what happens 
in our own lives too. This is why we all have those comfort TV shows that we watch over and over and over again, right? Because they help us make sense of our life. So um, I think a less reductive view of the witch, in addition to a less reductive view of pop culture in general, is going to be our friend moving forward in how we ethically consume media as well. So all that said, let's take a quick break and we will come back and we will talk about some of our favorite pop culture witches. So I'm curious, Jill, we were talking about this on voice messages this morning about how you and I have not had a conversation about which witches we're talking about today as far as personal favorites. So I'm excited to hear who your pop culture witchy faves are. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, When I think back on it, I think about a lot of like the Disney Channel witches. Yes, like Twitches. Yes, absolutely. Twitches came to mind, um, which I was kind of reflecting on when we were just talking about how there was a lack of BIPOC representation and um, thinking about that movie and how it was like really the only of its kind as a kid, (laughs) you know. And spoiler alert, friends, there is a third Twitches movie in talks right now. Both Tia and Tamara have confirmed that makes me honestly want to pee my pants with excitement. <laughs> right? I know. I looked it up this morning and was like, wait, the date on this article is 2020. This is happening right now. They're doing like grown up Twitches reboot. I'm super excited. Like 13 year old me just screamed inside. <laughs> Yay. But yes, yeah, so Twitches for sure. And then the other one that I was obsessed with as a child was Halloween Town and the witches oh. from Halloween Town. All of them. I don't care which one you pick. I loved all of them. Yeah. Except for... Except for Cal. That dude sucked. He was awful. He was terrible. Um, We're not counting also, <laughs> apologies to our male witchy listeners. Um, you are grossly underrepresented mm-hmm. as well. And when you are represented, you're usually the bad guy and you usually suck. So we know a lot of really lovely male witches. And I just want to say I love you. We love you so much. I love you and you matter. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, when I think about other, I guess, pop culture witches that are kind of more modern uh, that I love, and this is totally going to expose me, but I was obsessed, and I'm not even going to say I was obsessed in high school. I was obsessed with the Vampire Diaries. I was a late joiner to the crew, like my freshman, sophomore year of college. (laughs) Nice. Okay, I just, I guess I wasn't ready to let go of that yet, you know? I have not actually watched The Vampire Diaries or read them. Okay, well, that's okay. So we can have confession time. I've never seen Buffy. So I know mine's oh. so much worse, though. <laughs> that's okay. You know what's interesting about Buffy, though, is my Buffy relationship is similar to yours with Vampire Diaries. I did not watch Buffy until I was in college. I didn't watch it when it was on. Oh, funny. Um, I mean, I maybe saw an episode or two here or there, but I watched Buffy as an adult. Uh, I mean, give or take. I was probably 19 when I saw Buffy for the first time. <laughs> and it impacted me in such a, I mean, 
in a hugely strong way. I think being able to binge something like Buffy was really lovely. That was me with the Vampire Diaries because there was like eight seasons to go through when I first started it. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like my entire, you know, first half of my freshman year of college is really defined by Buffy, I think. And um, the character of Willow, I guess let's talk about her. Let's talk about the character of Willow. Willow Rosenberg is my probably all-time favorite pop culture witch. She's played by Allison Hannigan. Oh, I love her. Yes. And she starts as the nerdy, computer-loving, like, awkward girl who's in love with her best friend. She doesn't have witchy powers at the beginning of Buffy. She's a regular girl. See, the problem, though, is that if she comes across as nerdy in the beginning, I'm not going to get the whole this one time at band camp. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) So funny. Um, She definitely has lots of really amazing, horrifying 90s sweaters. The fashion, especially for Willow. Gosh, yes. It's delicious and atrocious. What did happen in the 90s? Like, seriously. It's like every knitting machine on the planet just blew up at the same time. And then mix it with neon because like the 80s just didn't want to let go yet sort of a thing. Yeah. And then crop it. Right. (laughs) And then cut it in half. A cropped knitter or (laughs) crops. A cropped knitted sweater that serves such a function. Oh, absolutely. So Willow was like that nerdy girl, right? She's Buffy's right-hand man. She's part of the Scooby gang. She saves everybody's ass a thousand times over with her IT knowledge and her, you know, logic in the face of crazy vampires. We love her. Um, She has a lot of really boring basic tropes before they develop her character, the in love with her best friend who's in love with Buffy. And it's like this whole whatever. But She became such a cult fan favorite that they really developed her character in beautiful ways. And I mean, spoiler alerts for Buffy. Willow goes through all sorts of metamorphoses, um, but she kind of comes into her power and her witchcraft. I want to say in like season three, season four, um, starts doing magic, starts doing spells more regularly. Um, She's learning from a coven. And then something traumatic happens right she lies to so okay sorry I'm gonna try to Buffy's really there's a lot (laughs) of there's a lot of filler stuff here but she goes from you know finding her character finding her voice finding her magic she you know gets over being in love with her best friend meets a boy falls in love and then meets a girl and falls in love and has just one of the best at the time character developments for queer people or queer characters she was really a catalyst for just like in your face queerness unapologetically and it was beautiful but her partner Tara she puts a spell on her to make Tara forget a fight they had right and That's obviously a huge violation of trust and Tara freaks out and they get in a fight and like essentially break up and this whole dramatic thing ensues and they're fighting this evil guy later and Tara is killed accidentally. Uh, Well, kind of accidentally. Tara is killed by this bad guy and it completely wrecks Willow, right? She goes kind of insane. She fully embraces 
the dark, quote unquote, side of magic. The juxtaposition of magic in Buffy is almost like it's a drug that can be abused too. There are a lot of like kind of heroin similarities, which are problematic in different ways. Um, But she becomes the big bad. She becomes the villain for nearly an entire season um, because she's completely heartbroken. She's been completely destroyed. And eventually, you know, the Scooby gang finds a way to bring her back to her quote unquote, you know, white magic. And in that moment, she's like surrounded by white light and all the creepy black veins in her face disappear. And she's like golden and beautiful again. Right. So just the, um, the visuals of what a good witch versus a bad witch is, is really interesting. And I think you see that with like Glinda and Elphaba in Wicked or just quite simply Glinda and the Wicked Witch of the West because she's not graced with much character development in the original Wizard of Oz. But, you know, you're either you're either a good witch or a bad witch. And those are the only two options. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, when you think about it from like a patriarchal lens in that when Willow is going through a really difficult time that sparks a sincere amount of emotion and understandably so that all of a sudden she's like, quote, evil or crazy or acting out in a really, really bad un societal type way you know which just is a very interesting concept when you look at how women have been treated by patriarchal standards throughout all of history (laughs) yeah absolutely so it is frustrating because I do think I mean in, in all of these you know all of the shows all of the books all of the movies that we'll touch on and talk about none of them are perfect portrayals right like at all (laughs) but especially when you're, you know, on the outskirts, on the fringes, and you're desperate to connect with something or to see somebody who looks like you or thinks like you or feels like you, it's really easy to ignore all of the problematic things, um, which I guess is true of anything. But I, uh, I feel like the witch has definitely been kind of flattened over time into this, you know, good versus evil she's either a baby eater or she's not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because the other witch that I was thinking of, and by the way, before we went on the Willow (laughs) tangent, the witch that I was referring to in Vampire Diaries is definitely Bonnie. She's a queen. Love her. The other witch that I want to talk about that I feel like is a very interesting character is Mary Sibley from Salem. Mm. I, I really love Salem. Um, But what's interesting is that She's she's good and bad. You don't know whether you want to hate her and see her as a villain, but you also empathize with her and see yourself in her over and over and over again throughout the entire series. And for those who haven't seen the show, I'll also give a little bit of a spoiler alert. But, you know, it's it's obviously based in Salem, Massachusetts, around the time that the witch trials happen. And it's obviously a Puritan society. And you know, uh, Mary Sibley's in love with John Alden. They have an ongoing love affair and then he goes away to war and um, she is home waiting for him, but is pregnant out of wedlock. And of course, back then that was just an absolute no, no. And so she gains her power as a witch by essentially sacrificing her, her pregnancy and 
gains all this power. And it's really interesting because then it is the witches themselves that turn all of the people in the Salem village against one another and basically initiate the witch trials. And it's the whole concept of mob mentality and that we're kind of our own undoing because we're not willing to like question or see the bigger picture. And we get very narrow minded as human beings. And so she does a lot of things that are just straight up evil, but there's also times where you see just real raw vulnerability and regret. And this, this really interesting character who is essentially heartbroken and, you know, waited on John Alden for seven years and he never returned until after she was forced to marry kind of like the head guy in the Salem village. Who's freaking gross. <laughs> we don't want mm. her. But basically, like, climbs her way to power. And, yeah, she's just such an interesting character in that she's so – or she embodies the the concept of duality so heavily. And I think she's very different from other kind of witchy characters in that sense. And, you know, the other person that it, she kind of reminds me of is the witch from The Love Witch. Mm, yeah. It's similar. You – I remember the first time we watched it, I was all excited about it. But like halfway through the show, I was like, I don't feel like I like her. And you made a comment about you're not supposed to like her in the end. And it's just an interesting thing because you you see the 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 harlot essentially who you're supposed to love, quote unquote. But she exhibits like this power in a way that makes you not like her. And it makes you really kind of have to reflect on why that is. Yeah, The Love Witch is a great... I mean, it's a great film and it's visually, it's absolutely stunning, but I think it's such a good representation of all of these facets of the witch and how we feel about her too. Um, Because a lot of what she's doing, she's doing for men too, right? Like it's, it's for love and adoration, but in these really convoluted and twisted ways and it, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. If you haven't seen The Love Witch, you need to watch it. <laughs> it is very, very good. But that actually reminded me of another show that we both love, that you also had misgivings at the beginning for some of these same kind of archetypal reasons. And that is going to be The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm, yes. So our, you know, 2017 is so on the first, I don't know, it's been a couple years, 2018. I don't know. Anyway, I think right. I'm like, it's, we've got four seasons of it. So we have um, been blessed with four seasons. <laughs> we're blessed with four seasons. The third, without a doubt, is the best. And in my professional opinion, I think they probably could have stopped it there and been a little stronger than the fourth. How dare you? How dare you? Then they had to wrap the fourth. Like the fourth was not a complete story. Wait, they've canceled it. Yeah. We're not getting another season. It's done. Well, that's freaking devastating. I'm sorry to be the one to break this to you on our podcast. Well, I was just about to be real pissed off at you for even suggesting that they should have canceled it. Yeah, no, I don't think they should have canceled it. I think we should have had a season five. So the writers could have taken their time and done their diligence. The um, or like a season in- 10. Yeah, that too. I'm so That's- pissed now. That ruined my night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk they? about it. Let's talk about it. Because I remember I watched 
the first season a little bit before you. And I remember we had a conversation where you said you'd gotten through a couple of episodes and the, like all of the emphasis on the satanic witch stuff was just getting annoying initially, I think is what you said. And yeah, I think, I think when I look back on kind of when that came out and I think that will also really kind of aligned with me wanting to step more into this lifestyle and this path. And at that point I was still struggling with the whole concept of people seeing witchiness as satanic or evil. And so I was like, Oh great. Now we have this like Netflix show. That's just going to freaking perpetuate that. And I think that was what I was getting or having a hard time getting over. For sure. um, but it is one of those that you do have to allow yourself to just be open to it and go into further because it does change. And the dynamics are extremely powerful in the show. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're always going to have those people. They're going to be the people who've never watched it. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Who are going to denounce it as evil and satanic, whatever the fuck that means to whoever. I mean, to be fair, they are pretty in your face about it, (laughs) which is why I love it. And I think it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And to me, the lens from which to view Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is the writers really took well I mean and it's based on a comic book series right it's fairly closely aligned with the comics that it is based on but the writers really took all of these puritanical evangelical hyper fear based emotions regarding witchcraft and satan and whatever as an archetype right and really leaned into it and I think it's such a fun tongue-in-cheek I think it's a joke and if you're in on it it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and if you don't get it you're gonna feel weird like it's probably going to feel kind of offensive to you at some point and I think it's just interesting how we consume things because not everything's gonna vibe with everyone right and you can't you as a writer are never going to all it's your job to tell the story how people interpret it that's out of your hands it's none of your business right Right. so I think what they've done so well and why it was such a cult favorite is because the audience is in on the joke and they for the most part are along for the ride and I think Sabrina Spellman in both of her iterations in our newer and in our you know 90s Melissa Joan Hart purple bedroom fave Um, They're both really valuable in different ways. And I like that Sabrina, I like that we got an edgier Sabrina. I like that we got a darker Sabrina. And I like that they gave that version of her a bigger story. I think that was stronger than if they had just tried to reboot it. Right. But that said, the episode in season four, spoiler alert, with... Um, Hilda with the original Hilda and Zelda is one of my favorites that is a season four like standout episode it is phenomenal I haven't freaking seen it yet oh you need to watch it and I'm not going to spoil it but it's so good it's so good and I do know that when they announced that on Instagram and I saw the original aunties I like peed my pants with excitement because how freaking cool Yeah, that one was easily my favorite episode of season four, no doubt. 
My favorite episode of season three was the tarot episode. That one was. That one's good. But also, can we talk about how the fact that the original aunties haven't aged a day? Oh, my God. They look phenomenal. They look exactly the same. They're literally witches, friends. They are. They have to be true witches. (laughs) Have to be. Well, my last my last thought on Sabrina that I really appreciate and I wasn't really aware of this until um, I was listening to one of the episodes of the witch wave, which if you haven't listened to that podcast, what are you doing? But how the actual, some of the writers themselves are practicing witches. And so they were able to contribute to the authenticity of the show in that way. Yeah. And that is true of, I haven't actually seen the craft reboot yet. Have you? No, not yet. But yeah, I know that's true as well because Pam Grossman was a consultant on the show. Yes, which I love. So actually, let's talk about the craft really quickly too. Because the craft is an interesting cult fave in the sense that it also embodies both of these like harlot and hag stereotypes in really interesting ways. It definitely leans on those, you know, trauma and sexual abuse tropes as far as when people's powers were clicked on i mean the craft was kind of that catalyst movie for all of us that had us like out in the woods practicing rituals and doing spells right like (laughs) yeah and you know i was thinking about the craft earlier and reflecting on the um you know the the nuance of them having to like answer to patriarchy in that way and trying to kind of pinpoint where that is in the show and i don't know if it's so much it's not as direct, right? It's more about the the pitting women against one another trope. Yes. So much more. Yeah, and that's so common too, right? Not only in the craft, but in like all these Disney movies. It's it's always the evil witchy stepmother against the beautiful young trollop. Like <laughs> Right. And the witch is alone in her power and she hoards her power. And that's in my experience, typically not how most of us hang out and practice. It's, I mean, definitely lots of solitary witches exist, certainly. And I would consider myself to be a solitary witch for the most mm-hmm. part. But that like tight grip on proprietary information, I think, is is less factual <laughs> right? than it is portrayed. So... We cannot have a conversation about pop culture witches without talking about Harry Potter. I don't think. Um, at least I can't have a conversation about pop culture witches without talking about Harry Potter. Yeah, I was going to say, you're definitely the Harry Potter queen. With the caveat that we are majorly disappointed in J.K. Rowling and have been for a while. Boo, J.K. Um, Boo. These books have been a, I mean, a huge part of our childhood and our existence and so many people's identities, right? Like you ask somebody what their Hogwarts house is and typically they've got an answer for you. Right. Along with all of the reasons why. So I'm a Ravenclaw in case you were wondering. Yes. Shale and I are both Ravenclaws actually. You're Ravenclaw? Yeah, I know. You think I'm a, a Gryffindor, but I'm super not. I would say I am a, a Ravenclaw with a couple, maybe I could be, I would like hang out with Gryffindors. We'd be friends. Fair enough. I would be friends with lots of people though. <laughs> Fair. So let's talk about 
the incomparable Hermione Granger. Because how could we not? Harry and Ron literally would have died in the very first book if it wasn't for this witch. (laughs) There would be no story. There would be no success. There would be no victory. There would be nothing without Hermione Granger. And I think for the most part, we all agree on that. But these those boys would have died over and over and over again without this girl. So I think that's just worth mentioning. The book is named after Harry and it should not be. It should be Hermione Granger and all the times that she saved Harry and Ron's dumbasses. <laughs> oh, shit. The end. Hermione is amazing, right? She's everything we love in a good witch. She's intelligent, sometimes to a fault. She is empathetic. She starts her own society for elf welfare. And she gives voice to those who are voiceless and doesn't really care what other people think about her. Um, She just shows up in the world exactly as she is, even if that's sometimes a little misunderstood. And um, there's another Harry Potter witch who I think embodies herself very fully in a way that we also love and appreciate. And that is my favorite Luna Lovegood. Luna gets a lot more love in the books and a lot more character development. But I would read a full series of books based only on Luna as well. She, I think, is the witch we should all try to be she owns her magic she is incredibly kind and empathetic but she's also really not bothered she's not bothered if you think she's weird she's not bothered if you don't believe in what she believes in she shows up and is fiercely loyal and unafraid and we love that in our witches um honestly they probably would have gotten real effed up without luna's help too multiple times like (laughs) the women the female witches in harry potter do not get enough credit for all of the times that they put themselves in danger to literally save the world over and over again but i digress i would say that's also kind of a common theme in pop culture in general i think that lead women don't get as much credit as they deserve. I <laughs> I might cut this out. I remember playing, we were playing Harry Potter Clue, um, which my mother-in-law gifted me a couple of years ago with a friend of Brandon's. And he had the audacity to sit at my kitchen table and tell me that he thought they gave her too much visibility in the movies. Gave Hermione? Yes. And I looked at my husband and he saw murder in my eyes. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say that one almost like I'm a surprised you didn't land in therapy over that one, like marriage counseling it was, at a minimum. <laughs> it was an interesting evening. It was one of my prouder moments to not completely go off because I'm one of those annoying Harry Potter people who will go off, right? Which is why I'm trying <laughs> to keep myself in check right now. Like I've, you know, my, all of my copies of the books are torn to shreds. I have all of the audiobooks. I listen, they're my, that's where I return when I'm struggling. And it's been really hard to find that place. It's been hard to find Hogwarts as a safe place in these last few years. And that's been really interesting to kind of reckon with, especially for somebody like me who really puts a lot of value and identity in what I consume. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I moved so much as a kid. So like, I always had these books, right? Like these were my friends and they were always there. That was totally me with the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Like those books will always hold such a soft spot in my heart. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, I could go, it would be another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And there are plenty of Harry Potter podcasts, so I don't need to be the one who does it. But I would say that that Hermione and many of our favorite Harry Potter witches, Ginny Weasley, you know, Molly Weasley, and even the bad guys, right? Like Bellatrix Lestrange. I think they all get a little bit more. I think they were really important, actually, for the witch as an archetype to grow. I think Harry Potter did a really good thing in normalizing it a little bit more and making the witch part of that everyday conversation and in finding that humanity and that everyday existence of just people who happen to know how to do magic who still you know fight and fall in love and have all these very normal human experiences so we definitely have to credit a lot of we have to give jk some credit not a lot she doesn't deserve a lot uh (laughs) for for normalizing the witch a little bit more, I would say. And this was in the 90s as well, right? This was happening during that time of of witch resurgence and, you know, kind of that Wicca boom around that time. So it's just interesting to think about kind of how the witch archetype grows and morphs and becomes more accepted and then becomes less accepted just based on, you know, the content that we're all consuming around that time too. So... Well, and one thing I guess to give credit to the Harry Potter books too is, and I've been thinking about this a lot as we've been talking about pop culture and for those who don't follow the Witch of Southern Light, he makes a really good point in an episode with uh, Rowan Oaken on his podcast, uh, Season of the Rich, Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, which if you're not listening to that either, go check it out. He's wonderful. But talking about how there's like this pattern or almost I think it kind of contributes to imposter syndrome a little bit where people believe that you have to be born a witch to be I guess real or validated in being a witch and what's interesting about Hermione is that she has the muggle parents right and that she wasn't technically born to do this and that you know you can come from a quote normal background and have incredible abilities so yeah, I think it does help that that concept as well, because, you know, obviously like things like the craft and, and other well, a lot of pop culture type media does portray that if you're not born a witch, you're not technically a witch. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely um, that's a trope that exists in the media. And that's also a trope that exists in real life mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as gatekeeping, you know, what practices are and are not available to people. So I think that's a really good point. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> you rock. Okay. So let's, I want to spend kind of our last 10, 15 minutes going a little bit deeper on one specific pair slash quartet of witches. And it should come as no surprise to anybody that we are talking about the Owens sisters. I bet people were sitting here the whole time being like, they haven't even brought up practical magic. (laughs) What the hell? Like these idiots named their podcast. (laughs) 
Midnight Margs and have not talked about the Owen sisters. Surprise, bitches. We were coming for you. Saving the best for last. We are going to talk about Practical Magic. So for those of you who haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it and you listen to our podcast, I'm confused. <laughs> right. It's like a whole vibe if you don't. <laughs> um, but also no judgment. You can rent it on Amazon for like $2.99, I think. Go, go. Pause this. Go. Come back. Yeah, just don't even finish this. Go watch it now. <laughs> yes. So Practical Magic was in theaters or it came into theaters on October 16th, 1998. And it was adapted from Alice Hoffman's 1995 novel of the same name. It's a phenomenal novel as well. The novel and the movie are completely different. Um, not completely different. I mean, they're obviously threads that tie them all together. But I was not, ex- I wa- obviously I watched Practical Magic as a girl before reading the book. I only actually read read the book this year. And it's beautiful and definitely one of Alice's best works, I think. Um, but I was very surprised at how different the... I guess all the themes are the same, but the way the story is told and like where they are is very different. So if you have seen one and haven't read the other or vice versa, go find the other one too, because you'll get a lot of value out of both of them together, I think. I mean, it was branded a rom-com, right? It's pretty tender and airy. General themes of, you know, love and loss, trauma, survival. Uh, Critics hated it. It has a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics Rotten Tomatoes doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. I no offense to tomatoes, but like any, I don't trust their ratings at all because some of the weirdest, like this movie makes zero sense. Will be like, oh, we get one hundred and five percent. It's like, no, that movie made no sense. Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm, I'm triggered. I, <laughs> they drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And so, you know, one, one critic, Roger Ebert or Ebert, um, called it too scary for children and too childish for adults. That was kind of the general consensus. What? Albert, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say this: the critics. I'm going to assume most of the critics at this time, 1998. Most of the people writing about this are going to be men, which I think is why you see a movie like Practical Magic that has such a long-standing cult following and just adoration with something like a 22 on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Because it was being reviewed by men who didn't know shit. <laughs> Because none of them do. I'm triggered too, obviously. We're going to end this on a high note. Really fiery. <laughs> um, so they didn't understand the tone, right? So this was a film that really smirked and made jokes and leaned into love, even as it took on a story about really deep, heavy, dark things like abuse and loss and trauma and all of the hurt that comes from that. So 20 years later... It's completely beloved by those of us who watched it as children. And I would say the longer, every time I watch Practical Magic, it gets better. Like this is a movie that it marinates and you catch things. There's so much nuance and so many small winks and nudges to the audience that you definitely didn't notice as a child. So if you haven't watched this in a while, go rewatch it. It is a beautiful movie. Yes. And I don't think critics really knew what to do with a movie that mixed genres so well, honestly. It's, I mean, it is horror and it is a rom-com. And it does both of those things really seamlessly. And I think that is 
I think that that duality, right, of dark and light, of love and death and pain and joy, that duality is what we celebrate here on this podcast all the time, too. And I think it is perfectly executed. Um, I cannot say bad things about practical magic. It's impossible. Also, it gives me like this sense of deep longing for the house that they have. Oh, absolutely. For sure. And I think what's really nice and what makes Practical Magic really rewatchable and really rereadable is the fact that you are watching these women confront their darkest demons, but there is enough levity and joy and sisterhood and love that you really can see yourself in it. And you can see that love story side by side with the trauma, side by side with all the hurt. And that reminder that life does continue to go on, even when all of these awful things are happening, I think is really simple and profound. And I think it touches you in a way you maybe don't expect. And I think that's why it has such a longstanding love for so many of us. Yeah, I think I think that's my favorite thing about Practical Magic is how much the sisterhood is emphasized and the support of one another is so highlighted. Yeah. And not just in the sisters, but in the aunts as well. Right. Um, you know, in Francis and Jet, they're, you know, brewing their potions of love and revenge in their, you know, gorgeous costumes and their gorgeous house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they... They were like OG cottage core. <laughs> yeah. Like they just, they, it's like all the maxi dresses and the wide brims. They just like breathe life into these characters in such ethereal and strong ways. And I think that the ants are a huge anchor for this movie and, and the book as well, but we're going to talk about the movie specifically. You know, it, it always feels, what I love about Practical Magic too, is it just, it feels perpetually cozy all the time too, right? Like, there's not really a mention of what time of year this is. Things are blooming, but it's also chilly and kind of autumny, but also springy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you just, it gives you that sense of magic and, you know, it makes you feel like you can just like float away on the breeze with a leaf and it's, oh, it's beautiful and stunning. So it's also really dark. <laughs> and I think... Practical magic is, it's not interested in showing us the pain without also showing us that complicated as things may be, there's still life left to live. And that sisterhood, you know, is weaved among the story of domestic abuse and getting yourself out of a bad situation alongside a really full-hearted and earnest romance for the other sister. And as these two sisters keep finding themselves drawn to each other, you know, they keep get getting all of these things keep trying to tear them back apart, right? So it's it's very complicated and beautiful and sad. And I think it's so I'm trying to what 1998. So it's over 20 years old now. It had its 25th anniversary recently. Math. Anyway. Yeah, I was like, I can't do it in my head. <laughs> But I think it's just thinking, so let's think about the concept of witch hunts, actually, and the juxtaposition of, of this movie at the time, right, of this, this evil 
boyfriend character in Jimmy who is just he embodies everything horrible right about toxic relationships and abusive partners right Um, and uh, in pop culture the narrative of witches it's really the domain of women right and witch tales are always intertwined with stories of oppressive men and it's just it's a way I think for us as a community and as women, whether you identify as a witch or not, to find kind of a built-in resistance and a collective healing in a really profound and interesting way that I think we don't give, we definitely don't give art and entertainment that is made for women the same reverence and credit (laughs) that we do things that are made for men. It's really easy to dismiss. I guess a really good example of this actually is like Twilight, right? Right. Um, Where it's easy to dismiss things that women like as frivolous or silly or whatever, but then, you know, they pound out nine Fast and the Furious movies with the same plot and it's just cars and pretty girls and cars and like those get okay-ish ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) But I think movies and pop culture and practical magic really is this for me. Um, But when art is created with enough love and intention and craft, it's really, it's a comfort and it's a balm. And you want to physically crawl into your screen when you watch this movie. You feel so connected. Even if you've seen it a dozen times and you know what's going to happen, when the phone tree coven is called and they are all standing around Jillian while she's being possessed and, you know, held by this evil spirit and they're trying to expel it together as just women in the community, right? Most of these women aren't witches (laughs) who come to actually help this ritual and this spell happen. Um, You feel it. You feel like you're there and you feel that tension and that anxiety and then the sincere relief when it's over. And I just, I think Practical Magic is one of those that just, it takes you, it takes you on that journey so completely. And it, it feels so healing. And I think that's why I love it. And I think that and all of the dualities it celebrates are why we celebrate it here and why we made it a part of our title and why we find reasons to talk about it all the time. (laughs) And everything. Yeah. And I just, I'm really grateful to things like Practical Magic, like Sabrina, you know, especially as somebody who has always considered, you know, the the books I'm reading and the movies I'm watching, like these are my closest friends. And I mean that in a very sincere way and hopefully it doesn't sound pathetic and sad, but. (laughs) Not at all. No. And, and, you know, like, or for people who, you know, always felt like the weird kid. <laughs> right. Like it, it gives you a place to go where you feel seen, especially if you are growing up in rural Idaho and you have, you know, these ideas about the world that are maybe not completely aligned with those around you and you're confused about what you believe. I really appreciate magic and the witch as an archetype as a place where we can unpack that we can unpack why we why we feel the way we feel or what it means to actually be on the fringes of society or how we 
I don't know, just how we relate to one another as well. And there are, you know, dozens of examples and this would, this could be easily its own podcast by itself <laughs> to just, and I'm sure it is to just talk about pop culture, witches and really deep dive. And I tried to do this without like spoiling plots of things, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful for content, <laughs> I think, and content that helps us relate to you, to our audience and to each other and content that brings us back to our magic even though you know we're not waving wands and casting spells and I mean we are but not in the Hollywood sense (laughs) yeah um you know I think sometimes it's it's really fun and it can be really empowering to kind of allow yourself to slip into these worlds and embody whoever you need to embody but but that archetype of the witch and of that strong, you know, female lead, that woman in total control of herself is something that I really value. And I appreciate you letting me ramble on about it for an hour today. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's a good segue into what is our perwitchin slip for this episode. Our perwitchin slip for this episode Honestly, it's, I think it's to, you have perwitchin to like what you like. And it's as simple as that. You don't need to justify it. It can contradict other things you like too. That's, that's part of being human, babes. Like, it's okay. You can embrace all of your dualities and you can like what you like. And you don't have to feel weird and guilty if it's Vampire Diaries because there's so much value there in addition to entertainment. Also, I'm currently re-watching Vampire Diaries, so haters, get out of here. <laughs> get out of and here. And I'm loving every second of it. <laughs> yes. So, like, yeah, you know, indulge. I would also give you permission to tap into your inner child a little bit. I think that's what I love about about these witches we're talking about in particular about pop culture is the ability to transform or transport yourself somewhere else. And I think we can learn a lot about ourselves by revisiting some of these things that held a lot of value in our youth and, um, and ask, you know, what you've, what you've brought with you, pay attention to what still resonates and be aware that sometimes your emotions may change and your feelings may change too. And that's okay. So yeah, I would just, you are allowed to like what you like and it doesn't fucking matter if nobody else gets it. Cheers to that. Cheers, witches. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks. If you're having a witching good time, we hope you'll help us to grow this little coven. You all know it's us against AI in this algorithm e algorithm world, so please help us out. Please like, rate, and subscribe anywhere you're listening to us. Also, we want to connect with our spooky, marg-loving friends out there, so please like and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Links for those profiles will be in the show notes. And hey, be sure to tell us what you're drinking tonight. We love you all so much, witches. Cheers. <laughs>